This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault. On today's episode, we are wrapping up the 41st annual Vancouver International Film Festival. The festival ran from September 29th to October 9th in the city of Vancouver. This is now our second year covering the festival, and it was a treat. Joining me today to talk about what we saw is Matthew Simpson, one half of the Awesome Friday podcast, who was last heard only a few episodes ago on show 211, A24 Retrospective, The Rover. If you are a fan of the Awesome Friday show, and if you listen to this pod, then that should be a given, you'll notice something a little different this week. We are both releasing the same show, so it might feel like you're hearing double, but don't worry, you don't need to put that drink down, you are right. So this is one festival, two podcast feeds, in one show. Welcome back, Matthew. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking. I really enjoy your show intros. I find them very concise and professional. I just wanted to say that. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, It takes me a few minutes to write them up, and uh, we try to follow a similar format every week. So that way, our loyal listeners have that comfort like a... Oil dog. I don't. I don't. I don't know where this an- analogy is going. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I yeah. I'm just gonna let. I'm just gonna let that lie. I don't. I don't know what to do with that. So, <laughs> yeah. Let that sleeping dog lie. Yeah. Wow. We managed to mix. Continue mixing metaphors. Amazing. Absolutely. All right. So let's get down to business. We're going to talk about five films each from the Vancouver International Film Fest 2022, the 41st uh, Vancouver International Film Fest. Um, But before we go on that, Dakota, how many movies did you see this year at the film festival? This year, I only saw nine, but I feel like that's, that's pretty good. Working the hours that I do work, that doesn't really leave me a lot of time for movie watching. So the fact that I was able to catch five in theaters, uh, I consider that a, a huge personal accomplishment on my end. I mean, you're way ahead of me. I also only saw nine, um, and I only saw one of those in theaters. So I'm sufficiently jealous of your accomplishment there, to be perfectly frank. Yeah, is nine like a lot? Like how, how many how many vifs have you covered? I guess would be a good place to start. This is only my second, and I'm pretty sure last year I probably only watched about five total. Oh, so that's a almost a hundred percent upgrade. So congratulations there. Thank you. This is my one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh vif. Uh, and it is tied with 2014 for fewest number of films watched, unfortunately. Oh, wow. I watched nine in 2014 as well. So, yeah, if, you know, it's fine, though. Um, the one nice thing about, I don't know about you, but the nice one, the, the nice thing about working a little bit longer hours and having to be a lot more choosy about the things that I saw is that I don't really feel like I saw anything bad this year. And that has definitely not been true in past years. <laughs> you know what? I, I sort of agree with you there. Of the nine I saw, there was only one I would say I was uh, more than mixed on, just tre- trending towards not liking. Uh, but the other eight, I definitely liked to loved. Nice. Yeah, it's just nice because... When you only have limited time, it's easy to just like listen to the buzz and listen to your friends and be like, okay, I'm going to go see this one because it's probably going to be good. 
Yeah. Uh, whereas in previous years, like I think the year that I saw the most was probably, I can just tell you, it was uh, uh, 2019 and 2020. Both I saw 20, or sorry, 2019 and 2021. I saw 20 films each. Wow. And definitely uh, in those years, I would just like go to a lot of movies and then you end up seeing stuff that is not great. And the nice thing about that strategy is you also end up seeing stuff you just don't expect to be great. That is great. Uh, but you also end up seeing stuff that you're like, wow, that was terrible. I regret <laughs> missing those two hours of my life. <laughs> I hear from people that, that do festivals like that where you know, you're seeing 20 plus films that a lot of the time you also just sort of forget what you see. Uh, you, you try to recall specifics about it, and you're just like, I I honestly can't tell you what the plot was. I was, you know, my third movie of four that day. I was running on less than five hours of sleep. I ate, maybe ate like one full meal that day. I, I, I just can't tell you much about that movie other than, yes, I did indeed see it. Yeah, that's definitely a thing, too. There was a year that I did... Um, I can't remember what year it was, but there was a year that I did two days in a row where I saw four movies back to back to back to back, uh, where I basically just sat in a theater and watched movies all day. And uh, the next day, after those two days, the next day, I was super sick. And I basically vowed to never do that again, because it's just too much. It's too much. I don't know. I'm, I'm super jealous of the people who can do like four and five movie days. Uh, I found out that that year that that is no longer me and maybe never was. Uh, and cause yeah, the same thing happened. A, I got super sick cause I was just exhausted. Uh, and, um, I mean, yeah, just like, you'll see him. There's definitely movies from those that year where I'm like, Oh yeah, I definitely remember that I saw that movie. Uh, that is all I can tell you about that movie. Yeah. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of curious. I haven't listened to it yet, but the latest episode of Classic Movies Live, uh, Jeff Ballmer saw over 30 movies at TIFF. And so he was talking about his experience at, at TIFF. This is the first time he's really gone into a festival like that. So I'm very curious to, to catch up with that episode because uh, I want to know what that's like, what, what it was from his perspective. I know Rachel was even in awe of him because she saw, uh, I think, around 25 movies and, and she thought that that was overwhelming. Yeah, and I think also like I haven't listened I haven't listened to that classic movies live yet either. I'm I'm woefully behind in my podcast listening, unfortunately. But um, there's a, another one of our friends, Todd, who writes for For Real. He also went like gung ho at TIFF and saw like thirty some movies as well. And like uh, I I don't I, it's a young man's game. I don't have the stamina for it anymore. <laughs> it's like I'm super I'm super jealous that they are able to do that uh and I definitely cannot. Yes, I I agree. What once you get to our age once you're in your 30s that's not really something you could do anymore. Yeah, your 30s, that's it. Your 30s. Great. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> did did I just uh underestimate your age there? Oh yeah, yeah you did. Yeah. Well, I mean not by much. I only 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 one digit off, but you you know, uh <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I'm, it's interesting. I am now 41, which makes me either the youngest Gen Xer or the oldest millennial. And I can never get a straight answer as to which one of those things I am. Oh, you are generationless. Yeah. I'm in that middle zone where like, I'm, I'm a little bit too young to be 
really, ultimately, I'm a little bit too young to be really like in Gen X. And I'm also a little bit too old to really, truly feel like a millennial. Because uh, I feel like that was like a few years after me. But mm-hmm. it's weird. It's a weird middle gray area. Uh, and it's, uh, but the, the, the main point here is that I am, I am old. I'm a middle-aged person now. It's, it's a weird <laughs> feeling. It's very freeing though. It's very freeing. Well, you don't look it. Oh, well, thank you. Clearly I must've been wearing hats around you or something, but <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, that's uh, a suitable amount of banter, I think, uh, which is how I like to lead into the main part of our show. Um, so we're going to talk about, I think five films each. We have not spoken to each other about which five films we are going to speak about. Uh, So it's going to be a surprise. Um, Our initial plan for this is that we're going to sort of break down our top five films of the festival each. Um, Do you have a clearly delineated top five, Dakota? Yeah, I would say that my, my top three were absolutely solidified. It was really easy. And then I basically had four movies for the bottom two slots that I, I, I kind of had to decide between and was a, a little tricky to come to terms with. And, and I think if we were to record this uh, a day after or a day earlier, my list might uh, have been a little bit differently, uh, especially if I was able to uh, capture a, a couple more movies during my time span and, you know, uh, revealing behind the curtain a little bit. Both of us uh, were talking the day before we recorded this being like yes we're gonna wake up early and watch a movie and neither of us did that (laughs) yeah no definitely neither of us did that to be fair we were both out late watching different movies and uh there's the in my case there's the aforementioned middle-agedness of it all so yeah i definitely stayed out too late and and woke up too late to watch another movie although i might i might yet i might yet well, that's good. Yeah, I, I would love to um, watch maybe one or two of my screeners that I still have, but I don't know. But uh, yeah, I unfortunately missed the party that happened last night with uh, with you and Taylor and Thomas and Todd. Uh, am I missing anyone there? No, that was it. Me, me, Thomas and Todd and Taylor and Taylor uh, Beaumont's partner. Uh, all got together. We were supposed to have one or two more people, but they, had, for various reasons, they didn't weren't able to come, including you. Um, but yeah, we watched a movie last. We went for dinner and watched a movie last night, and it was a great time. And uh, I, I, yeah, I really appreciate all my uh, movie and and podcasting friends. They're all they're all good people. Yeah, we got we got a great group. I, I think it's it's really funny. I'm also gonna uh, share a little. Uh, anecdote about your usual co-host simon uh one of the movie the movie that you went to go see was a movie called i like movies you know terrific name and uh everyone was talking about our group chat about i like movies i like movies i like movies and uh and simon chimes in and says i'm so out of the viff loop i thought i like movies was just you guys saying that not an actual movie (laughs) (laughs) that's true yeah so I, i simon does not have a like we talked about briefly how we didn't have a lot of free time and Simon has like no free time. It's uh, it's really, he's a really interesting perspective to have in the group. Really. I think really like rounding actually <laughs> to have in the group. We're all talking about all the movies we've had to see. And he's like, yeah, I have seen one this week. And I, I feel it really brings us back down to earth sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it was probably one that you, uh, you made him watch. We're like, here's a screener. You need to watch us. It's for the show. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's actually I I pretty much dictate a lot of his movie watching schedule. It's pretty pretty 
you know, uh, I don't want to say that I've gone mad with the smallest amount of power, but I've kind of gone mad with the smallest amount of power in that regard. <laughs> Which is which is why it's an interesting dynamic of you and I, just the two of us being on a show now, because we're both uh, the power hungry people. That's true. Yeah, we're both uh, in in control of our shows, and uh, yeah, um, and like I don't think we've talked about this, but this is a joint episode of both Awesome Friday and ContraZoom. So if you're listening to this now that we've talked for ten minutes. Um, uh, you should probably comment. Uh, give us a, a, a comment on some social media to say where you listen to it because it's going out on both the Awesome Friday feed and the ContraZoom feed uh, with uh, different intros. But same, the meat of the show is going to be the same on both. It's uh, an experiment, uh, which I'm pretty excited about, actually. I don't know about you, but I think it's a, an interesting and fun idea. It's one of those things where I wish uh, I would put in like the the Twilight Zone intro of like do not adjust your television set or whatever that uh, the, the outer <laughs> limits that's what it was uh, do not adjust your podcast feeds what you are hearing is normal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could still do that. I'm just saying it's a that's a thing you could still do. And honestly, uh, I expect everyone to listen to both of these feeds uh, so that way we both get the numbers. Yeah, I mean that'd be that's the dream, right? <laughs> we want everyone to listen everywhere. Yes, but let's talk some movies. Okay, well, let's talk some movies. So you have a pretty pretty clearly delineated top five. I have five movies I want to talk about, and I think one that I would consider to be my favorite of the festival. So um, why don't we start with you and the first movie you would like to speak about? So your number five, we'll say. Yeah, sure. My number five film is Bones of Crows, which was directed by Marie Clements. It is a long-spanning biopic-esque movie uh, that is basically a psychological drama uh, about a woman's experience through the residential school system in Canada. She is a a Cree woman. Uh, Her name is Eileen Spears, and she's played by Grace Dove, and she's also played by a younger version and a much older version as well. But we basically get this interweaving non-linear story about how the residential school system in uh, what is now known as Canada, uh, how it affected and traumatized and tortured in, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually, uh, a whole host of people whose lives were completely upended and ruined in the long lasting effects that the, this system uh, has had on the different uh, First Nations uh, throughout this land that we call Canada. So it is a is a very hard watch at times because the uh, the abuse and the torture is very frank and it's it's very it's very interesting because I said it's a nonlinear storytelling. So we we sometimes see the after effects before we see the the cause. We see the effects before the cause, sort of thing. So that's a very interesting way of doing it, and and I really appreciate. It. There are some things that have issues with the movie at times. The script is a little far on the nose with the way it uh, it wants to. Um, get its sort of gotcha moment. But uh, more often than not, it is a a stunning film, one that is really hard to watch uh, with some fantastic filmmaking going on. Was uh, was this one that you were able to catch up with there, Matthew? Unfortunately, it was not. Uh, It was one that I actually really wanted to see. 
um, but circumstances prevented me from doing so. I think that's going to be an interesting theme for me for this festival and that I did actually miss a lot of the sort of big films. Uh, but the nice thing is that like this film is definitely coming out. Like we're definitely going to get a chance to see this again. Um, cause uh, you know, it seems, it seems like a very, uh, important Canadian story. Um, and, uh, by all accounts, like everyone I know who's seen it has pretty well raved about it. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to catching up with it when I get the chance. Cause I think as with, um, uh, Grace Dove's, previous film i know she's been in more stuff but the last thing i saw her in was a film called monkey beach at viff a couple years ago and like that film that film's available now um and it's also a very uh uh important and famous like indigenous story um so i look forward to catching up with this one i was i was really kind of crushed to not make it to this one to be totally honest yeah, I, uh, I I sort of got a little lucky with this one. I didn't properly read the terms and conditions of our media pass, and I showed up. This was the opening night film at the festival, and I uh, I tried to line up at the uh, the pass holder line, but there was no pass holder line for this movie. And luckily, yeah. Inez, who does uh, media PR, uh, saw me and gave me a ticket. So huge shout out to Inez for saving my butt and uh, not making me waste uh, parking that I paid for downtown for this. But um, <laughs> yeah, th- th- this was the opening night film of VIF. So it, it was a premiere. I think it premiered at TIFF if I'm not mistaken. So this was its second run that it got and I uh, got to see the entire cast and crew go up on stage afterwards and they did a little Q and a, and that was, that was really special, but uh, much like a movie like monkey beach, which I've seen as well. I, uh, I expect bones of crows to be one of the big players at next year's Canadian screen awards. So if you follow mm-hmm. the Canadian screen awards, this is probably going to be, you know, there's probably about four or five movies that really dominate the nomination process. And, and I sort of suspect that this, will be one of those yeah i think that's probably a pretty safe bet uh it seems like not only because from what i understand it's uh very well directed and acted but it's also very you know unfortunately uh very relevant to recent canadian history and it's uh uh we're we're in a, in a period where i think a lot of our most interesting filmmaking is coming out of indigenous uh stories mm-hmm. um and reconciling with uh you know our colonialist past and uh this this plays directly into that so not only is it from what i understand a great movie it's also just exactly the kind of thing that is going to win a lot of awards yeah i i agree with that yeah for for the longest time french canada was uh the area that was making the best films from this country and i think that tide has now shifted to uh indigenous filmmakers who are finally getting the the time and the resources to make their stories as well and there's been a, a fantastic crop of films that have been coming out of uh the first nations up here uh but yeah what about uh what about you i know you're you're a little uh on the fence of how to organize the movies you want to talk about but what is the first one you want to talk about yeah i'm going to start with uh a film uh called until branches bend uh which actually won the award of the festival for best bc film uh it was directed by a filmmaker called sophie jarvis and it's set in the Okanagan, the interior of BC, and it's set in a town that is dependent on uh, peach orchards, uh, basically. Uh, and at the start of the film, the the main character, who's played by Grace Glowicki, she works in a cannery, and she finds a bug. 
uh, in a peach. And she tries to raise the alarm and she gets uh, basically just a ton of pushback because she's found this bug and she's like, we need to look into this. And everyone's like, it's probably, it's fine. Like we can't afford for this to be a real thing. So it's fine. And it kind of has a real like interesting 70s conspiratorial thriller vibe about it where it's just this one person who has has found a problem and everyone's telling her that to like stop disrupting our livelihoods stop saying these things um and you know ultimately i mean it's i don't think it's a spoiler to say that she turns out to be correct (laughs) um but the way the story plays out is it's kind of like heartrending to watch because like and i mean i grew up in a small town so like i I sort of get the small community and when someone raises a difficult situation uh, in a small community, that can be kind of devastating to the, to the community dynamic. And this definitely plays that out. And she's subject to ostracization and lots of gaslighting. Um, And, you know, one person that she confides in throughout the film, like outright throws like lies and throws under the bus. And it's just a really, well-conceived indie movie. Um, and I, I really actually, I, I wasn't, I went into it being like, okay, this is a BC film. It doesn't have a huge budget. Like, I wonder, is it going to be okay? And, you know, like sort of, sometimes I'm guilty of that thing where you float up an indie movie and you're like, oh, this is going to be really indie, isn't it? <laughs> um, but I was actually pleasantly surprised by how well conceived and well put together this film is. And the last 15 minutes, um, the last 15 minutes are kind of stunning. Um, and the film ultimately is sort of about the, the devastation about being correct, about being correct about something that is just awful, you know? Like, <laughs> and I don't know, it's, it's also just the kind of movie that I kind of love film festivals for, because I don't know how, how you're going to see this movie after the festival. Um, but I really hope that a lot of people do, because it's a really interesting film. And it's definitely the kind of film you want to watch, just so you can say that, like, when Sophie Jarvis is, like, a famous and well-respected director, I can be like, yeah, I saw her first feature. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, uh, did you did you catch up with this one at all? I was sent a screener of this and I regret not looking into it because I knew I only had a limited amount of time. And so I'd asked for a couple screeners and the PR person also sent me this uh, without me asking for it. Uh, and now hearing you describe it, I very much regret not watching this because this sort of sounds right up my alley and, and hearing you sort of praise the, the praise that you're heaping on, especially, you know, the ending and I think a psychological drama thriller type movie like this, if it doesn't have that ending locked down, it kind of just ruins the whole movie. The fact that you're, you're saying it succeeds at what it's trying to do. I love paranoia thrillers, so uh, I might uh, have to see if I can squeeze this in now. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you have if you have the screener, I would definitely give it a shot. It's, it's, it's definitely a little bit lo-fi. Like it's definitely, you know, it's a very indie, it is a very indie film. It, it definitely has limited budget, but what it does with its budget is, and with like the way it works with what it's got, I think is really stunning. Um, and I, I really hope to see more from Sophie Jarvis and in particular, 
uh, in the cast. There's only one sort of like famous ish person in it, uh, an actor called Lachlan Monroe, who if you Google him, you'll be like, Oh yeah, that guy. Um, but the main character, uh, great. The main actor, Grace Glowicki, she's actually super good as well. Uh, and I would kind of like to seek out more of her work, uh, cause she is so, so effective in this, in this film. Nice. That's uh, that's always awesome yeah. to hear, and uh, and I totally agree with you. Of when you you're firing up an indie movie and you're like, oh, don't know what I'm gonna get out of this one. Uh, but it's 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 always like the biggest surprise when you're just like, yes, you. I, I love when you're able to like succeed on like a, a super small budget. You know, mostly no name cast people that are doing work for the first time on this scale. It's always great when uh, when it all sort of comes together because it is such a tricky thing to actually make a good movie yeah for sure uh well i look forward to hearing your reaction when you do squeeze it in Mm -hmm. yeah what's uh what is your next film on the list so my number four movie is the movie that i ditched you and uh and your group uh last night to go see and that is triangle of sadness which is the ruben ostland film which won the palm door it was the ostland second palm door after he won for the square and it is a satire of the super rich when they are all aboard a uh, giant luxury yacht and things start to go wrong and none of these rich people know how to take care of themselves. And, uh, and some tables are turned, both, uh, literally and metaphorically speaking is probably the best way to describe it. This movie sort of works best with, uh, with A, not really describing a lot of it and B, a lot of it you know, when it's humor based, you kind of just have to see it. You you have to be in the moment. You have to be ready for it. I will say there is a, uh, for anyone that has already seen it because it has now made the festival round since at least con, um, there is a long extended sequence that is not for the faint of heart. Um, (laughs) and if, if, if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and uh, being in a large crowd was very interesting because it was just like every 30 seconds alternating between uh, people dying laughing and people uh, who I thought were going to match what was happening on screen. Um, so, yeah, this is this is a, a very excellent movie. Uh, it's, it's, it's very sad. It's very scary. Uh, there's a lot going on. It's very much, you know, I, I sort of, uh, my, my critique of Bones of Crows that it was a little on the nose at times. Triangle of Sadness is not subtle in the slightest. Uh, basically, everything you can see from a mile away uh, because it is shiny and glittery and encrust it with diamonds because that's what type of movie this is and Ostland is going for maximalism and uh and he definitely uh nails that whether or not it works for you or not but maximalism is what he is what you get yeah uh so spoiler spoiler alert this was actually going to be my next movie to talk about as well so this is excellent timing uh excellent. we actually on on our show we covered it as one of our two out two movies on our most recent podcast episode as well um, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I don't want to like recap our entire podcast, but, um, everything you're saying is correct. I'm actually super jealous because, uh, you got to see this in a crowd and I did not. 
And I feel like that entire second act in a crowd would be an experience uh, for all of the reasons that you were talking about. Cause it is such a long, but perfectly paced, like slow build of tension and revulsion. And I don't know if you've listened to our latest episode, but like at one point um, I was watching this movie at home with my wife. And at one point she legitimately had to tap out and she just left. Uh, because of what was happening on screen. Um, she already wasn't feeling very well. And she was like, I can't, I can't take this. I gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, uh, everything you're saying is correct. I, I, I felt a little bit let down by the ending of the film. Mm Um, I don't know how you felt about it, but that isn't actually because like the ending is actually completely appropriate. Um, and kind of the only ending that makes sense for the story he's trying to tell. Uh, but as I said on our podcast episode, there's a long stretch of this movie where, you know, with most movies, I sort of, I watch enough movies that I can sort of tell you what's going to happen next, at least in the broad strokes when I'm watching something. But with this movie, there's a long stretch where I had absolutely no idea what was coming next. And then there's a moment where I was like, Oh, now I can foresee the rest of the film. And I felt kind of let down by that, which is very specifically a me problem. But uh, I definitely think this is a, a very, uh, f- fun and you're right. Un- unsubtle film would be the 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 one word description would be unsubtle for sure. So I'll, I'll sort of follow that up with, with two things. One, I I was I went to the theater and watched this with my wife, and much like uh, your partner, uh, she wanted to tap out. The difference being, when you're in a crowded theater, you can't really tap out. Um, so I had to watch her not enjoy uh, most of this movie. <laughs> uh, so I felt very bad afterwards. Um, so I, I, I can relate to that sentiment. Um, this this movie is, is definitely not going to be forever. And I imagine, uh, is, is this going to be a Netflix movie? I can't remember. Um, I don't actually know the answer to that question off the top of my head. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know either. think so. I, it's uh, it's an it's being distributed by Neon in the states and by Elevation Pictures here in Canada. Uh, so I don't know where it's. I think it's it start. I know it's starting a theatrical run in the states, uh, this week. Um, but I don't know which where it's going to end up. Yeah, uh, I imagine when it eventually does come to streaming services down the line, uh, whatever one it may be, I bet you you can pinpoint the exact moment uh, that people are going to start turning it off in mass. Uh, it's probably about <laughs> five, probably about five minutes past the point of no return of the middle sequence. Uh, I'll say that. Um, yeah, it's it's hard because you want to talk about it, but you don't want to spoil any of it. It's uh, no. it's that. The whole second act is, um, even watching at home, uh, the whole second act is uh, an experience, we will say. It's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, to, uh, to to sort of dance around your, your, your other comment there as far as uh, predicting the end, um, I'll, I'll put it this way. Are you, you're referring to the, the absolute ending and uh, the sort of reveal about it. Uh, am I correct in that line of thinking where that's what you sort of predicted? It would be something like that. Yeah. There's a moment um, and it's about 25 ish minutes before the end. There's a thing that happens 
Uh, and I don't, I don't want to spoil any of it, but there's a thing that happens where up to this point in the film, I'm like, I have no idea what's about to happen. And that's a great feeling for me. And then something happens and I'm like, oh, okay. I know how this is going to end. Like, I just know. Yeah. Like the, I, there's like a moment where I like, I can be like, okay, the rest of it's going to unfold thusly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like I say, that's not a problem. That's a very, very specifically me problem to have with a movie. Um, but uh, it's just, it's, I, f- I feel weirdly compelled to talk about it because that middle section and ultimately like the first half of the third act is so unpredictable that uh, when it becomes predictable again, it's kind of a letdown. It's weird. It's a weird feeling. It's a weird complaint, I think. Yeah, there, I, I agree with you. And, and I sort of feel like I, I, we may know I've noticed at the exact same moment, but there was a point where I also was looking at being like, uh, there, there's really only one conceivable way this movie can end, especially as the power dynamics start to shift a little bit and you understand what's sort of coming up. And, and it's the sort of thing where I wish I can, I would love to have a more of a spoiler filled talk about this. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think this is the venue because the movie has not come out wide yet, so it's not fair for people who haven't been able to see it at a festival yet. I purposely chose not to listen to your latest episode because I knew I was seeing it uh, a few days after your episode came out. So now that I've seen Triangle of Sadness, I can now go back and listen to your review of Triangle of Sadness, where I'm sure it's much like this, where you are sort of dancing around uh, some of the big spoilers, or at least uh, the big moments that you want someone to go in fresh for. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was actually a difficult one to talk about for that reason. Uh, We try and keep our reviews as spoiler-free as possible, and there's a lot to talk about in this film that you would need to have spoilers to talk about it in any real depth. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Okay, so that was both of our fourth movies then, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, So let's, I guess, skip ahead, uh, and we'll talk about, I guess, my number three and I am going to go with, um, I'm going to go with a film uh, that actually won, uh, I can't remember which, but it won an award at at TIFF, and it won the award for, it won the platform award at TIFF, and it won the award for best Canadian film here at VIF, uh, and that is Anthony Shim's Rice Boy Sleeps, uh, which is a story of a young. Korean Canadian man, uh, teenager, uh, who is growing up in the sort of late nineties, early zeros, um, in, in Canada with his mother. And, uh, I kind of don't, I don't know. I, I don't really want to say too much more than that. It's in a very interesting, very heartfelt, very moving film. Um, all about growing up in the immigrant experience in Canada. Uh, it's, it's wonderfully told. It's beautifully shot. It's shot in a lot of really like long, slow takes, which if you're a film nerd should be enough to make you want to watch it. Um, but uh, it's sort of wonderfully grounded, sort of wonderfully naturalistic and just a really touching story about, you know, family and connection and the, the immigrant experience here in Canada. And uh, it's definitely going to be available somewhere. It's winning all the accolades uh, where it's been playing. So did you did you manage to see this one? 
Disclosure time. This was the movie I was hoping to watch this morning. But if you have been listening to uh, all of our episodes on ContraZoom, then you would know that on episode 209, Rachel had the opportunity to interview uh, Anthony Shim uh, along with uh, another film director uh, for a different movie. Uh, but yeah, she talked to uh, the director of Rice Boy Sleeps and was absolutely swooning over this movie and really hoping that I would uh, watch it so that way we can talk about it offline uh from the podcast but uh yeah this is one i i'm I'm really excited about and from what i've seen what i've heard it just sounds absolutely stunning yeah and and i I don't want to (laughs) so it's interesting um i went into this movie i heard that it won the platform award at tiff and lots of people sort of raving about it and i actually went into it with a bit of trepidation because and i don't want to like badmouth anyone exactly but i saw anthony shim's previous directorial effort at vif a few years ago i'm not going to name it um but like i didn't think it was very good i didn't think it was uh, particularly well written or directed um or acted like it just it, i just didn't really coalesce and so i was kind of dubious about this one um but then when i watched it like it's actually a really stunning film it's it's like a totally different director. Um, I mean, I mean that in the best way possible. I mean that like he very clearly has grown as an artist, um, and has crafted something really beautiful. There's a lot of comparisons being made to Minari, which I think is very high praise and also um, apt. Very apt. I mean, it's kind of an on-the-nose comparison, being like the Korean-American and the Korean-Canadian experience in parallel. But like, it is, uh, it's a it's a really good movie. It's a shockingly good movie. And uh, I really hope you get the chance to see it. You should just watch it after we're finished recording. It's really good. I uh, I might very well do that. Uh, I'll have to decide between, uh, between that and until branches bend. I mean, you can watch both of them. It is a holiday today. We're recording on a holiday. You, you have the time. That is true. Yeah, I, I, I would. I would actually. I'm super jealous. I haven't. I purposefully haven't listened to that episode of ContraZoom yet either, because I only just watched this. I think yesterday or the day before. This weekend is kind of blurring together, to be totally honest. Um, but now that I have seen it, I'm like, I'm your your episode where Rachel speaks with Anthony Shim is like queued up for me. Fantastic. Uh, she'll be very happy to hear that, uh, both that you liked and that you're listening to the interview. Uh, so I guess I'll move on to my number three movie, which uh, you were trying to guess offline prior if it would make my list because you said everyone is raving about it. And yeah, Broker is my number three movie, the latest from Hirokazu Koreeda. Uh, if you are familiar with uh, this Japanese filmmaker, he's done stuff like uh, Shoplifters, Afterlife, like Father Like Son. He is a very quiet and contemplative filmmaker, someone who is able to sort of capture all sides of, of life, the good, the bad, the pretty, the ugly, the easy, the complicated. He actually sort of reminds me a lot of Asghar Farhadi, where no situation is as clean and as simple as you want it to be, despite what uh, life might 
make you believe or other movies might make you believe when you encounter such a situation. And Broker is no different. Broker is the story about how there are there's a church that there is a baby box, which is basically where unwanted mothers will leave a baby in this baby box. And one night, uh, a woman leaves a baby there. And uh, the police are watching this baby box because they believe that some of the church employees are human traffickers. And so, you know, that sounds nice and simple. Human trafficking, bad Giving up babies for adoption should be a good thing uh, because it's going to a loving home. How does this all sort of make it a complicated affair? But in reality, the truth is the people that are, quote unquote, doing the human trafficking are really good people. They really do care about finding the best home for people that often feel let down and failed by the adoption systems in Japan. But this is sort of a universal feeling. You talk to anyone that's sort of gone through this the hoops that they have to jump through in order to prove that they are fit parents, whereas you look around and you see countless unfit parents that have their own natural children. So it's a it's a very complicated process. And much like if you've seen Shoplifters, which was nominated for an Oscar a few years ago, the movie sort of devolves into uh, family is the one that you make, not necessarily the one you were born with. And so here you have two adult men, a adult woman, uh, a newborn baby, and a, another orphan young boy. So you have the all of these people sort of coalescing together to become the family that they don't actually have in real life. So it is a stunning work that is heavy on emotion, but not overly saccharine. It is not super depressing. It's, it, it, it really does revolve in this, uh, complicated middle area where nothing is as simple or as good as it seems in real life. It just sounds wonderful to be totally honest. Uh, I, I had the chance to see this yesterday and I chose to go and hang out with, uh, my friends instead. Um, uh, just cause like I hadn't seen some of them in, in forever. And, uh, I, I decided that broker is definitely going to be, you know, as with say something like parasite, like it definitely seems like the one that's going to be available for me to watch later. Uh, and the one, the other film I had to choose to see yesterday with, uh, with some of the people, uh, it seems like one that maybe won't be quite as available. So that's why I made that choice. Um, but I'm super jealous. I really would love to have seen this movie in a theater with a group of people. Um, it also has, I believe, uh, Song Kang Ho in it, doesn't it? Who I'm it a does, big yes. fan of. He is the lead, um, quote unquote, human trafficker. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of that guy. He's an excellent actor and a, just a wonderful performer, just in general. And um, i i do I do feel a slight pang of regret that i that I didn't go see this movie. Um, yeah, it's because really, really I I technically good. had the chance. It was uh, super sold out. Um, it was probably the most packed I've. Uh, I saw the Center for Performing Arts during uh, VIF, and I saw four movies there. Uh, so mm-hmm. you might not have even been able to get in uh, because it, it was so packed. 
Um, but yeah, uh, for like you said, Song Kang Ho is in it. He is a fantastic actor. Most people probably uh, have seen him in one of Bong Joon Ho's many films. He's basically his go-to guy. Uh, he was the lead in Parasite, uh, the host, Memories of Murder. He has a, a small part in Snowpiercer. So if you are a fan of Korean cinema uh, and Bong Joon Ho, you've definitely song seen Song Kang Ho before. And then the other. A uh, notable actor in it is Duna Bay, who uh, for English language audiences would recognize her from Sense8, the Netflix show uh, from the Wachowskis. Yeah, or I think, uh, yeah, she's in um, Cloud Atlas as well. She's wonderful in that. She is, yes. And she's also in in The Host. So uh, two two very recognizable international Korean stars. Hmm. Yeah, it just, it just sounds wonderful. I'm like I say, I'm super jealous you got to see that one, but it's definitely one that's going to be around, uh, you know, in the next couple of months, almost certainly. So I will, I will get a chance. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a, fa- a fairly easy one to watch if uh, if you're a fan of international cinema. I imagine uh, your your local theaters that that show those types of movies will be showing them uh, wherever you might be listening. If you are in a city, and I imagine it's also probably going to be fairly easy to find once it comes to whatever streaming or rental service you use. Yeah, it also just sort of has the same energy about it that uh, they Drive My Car did last year or Parasite did the year it came out where, you know, it'll be it'll be the big Asian uh, award nominee at all the shows this year is what it yeah, feels like. I, yeah. It actually kind of occupies a a weird spot. It is a Korean Japanese co production. Uh, Hirokazu Koreeda is Japanese, and the movie is all in Korean with Korean actors. Uh, but neither country decided to submit it for its pick for best international film at the Oscars. But what it has going for is the fact that uh, Corrieta has previously been nominated by the Oscars in the international film category for shoplifters. But you also have Song Kang-ho, who I think is going to get a bit of a push by Neon to be in the best actor race as well. So I would not be shocked in the slightest if it maybe uh, shows up at the Oscars, just not in the category that we're expecting it to be in. I mean, that would be a well-deserved nominee i haven't even seen the movie but song k like you know the oscars are just a giant popularity contest and they give awards to people who should have gotten in other years all the time so if song kang ho were nominated and won like there would be i would be totally fine with that no matter what year it was (laughs) yes yeah yeah good well let's uh move on to i guess my number sorry i messed up the counting because we had the same number four so i guess i'm on my number two uh which is uh, a very low key but enthusiastic documentary called The Grizzly Truth. And I think you watched this one as well, didn't you? I did, yes. And I'm glad you yeah. are talking about it because it was one of the ones that just missed my list. Yeah. So uh, The Grizzly Truth uh, was uh, it's a documentary, is directed uh, by uh, a director called Kat James. She also directed a documentary uh, a couple years ago uh, about big country, uh, Bryant Reeves, who is a basketball player here in Vancouver for the six years that we had the Vancouver Grizzlies. Um, And this movie is all about just the Vancouver Grizzlies and the six years that they were here in Vancouver before they left for Memphis and the gaping hole in the city's soul that uh, was left when they unceremoniously left for Memphis. Um, 
I don't know that this film is going to be for everyone, but if you're a basketball fan or if you existed in Vancouver in the 90s, uh, then this is a film you should definitely seek out and see. It's a little bit lo-fi. Um, it's definitely got some budgetary limitations, but it has such a strong heart, and Cat James is so clearly like just in love with basketball and with the Grizzlies in particular. Um, it was so, kind of a wonderful thing to watch. Um, and if you, like me, if you grew up in the 90s, like I went to a bunch of Grizzlies games. I think I posted my some of my ticket stubs in our group chat. Um, and mm-hmm. it was wonderful to have an NBA team. And I'm not even like a big basketball guy, but it was wonderful to have an NBA team. And when the Grizzlies left, uh, which was uh, maybe shocks the wrong word, but it was, it was a bad scene when the Grizzlies left Vancouver because not like the, they were a bad team. Let's just get that out of the way. They were a bad team. However, they were clearly starting to get better. And we as a city, as a province, were denied the chance to see them become a good team because they left before that happened. And it was kind of devastating. Um, And this film kind of rehabilitates the image of the Memphis Grizzlies for me as a as a Grizzlies fan, like I've always kind of like, again, I'm not really a basketball guy. I'm not really invested, but whenever I have like watched or, you know, engaged with basketball without having very con- any context at all, if anyone's like, Oh, Memphis Grizzlies. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Fuck them. Whatever. I'm not. No, 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 no Memphis. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and also of Steve Francis, who, you know, many people see as the sort of, catalyst for the Grizzlies leaving. He was very famously drafted by the Grizzlies and then refused to play here. Uh, And that was by a lot of people sort of see that as the beginning of the end of the team here. Um, But this film for me kind of makes it okay to recognize T Francis as the talent that he is. And also to maybe recognize that the Memphis Grizzlies are still the Grizzlies and then maybe they're okay to root for. So, uh, it's a very Vancouver specific, very BC specific film perhaps, but I, I really enjoyed watching it. Uh, and it really brought up a ton of nostalgia for me. And I hope that lots of people, I hope that everyone in BC gets a chance to see it basically. Uh, and what did your, you're very famously from the other side of the country. So how did you feel about this film? Yeah, I I wrote in my review of this movie, I kind of start my review off of, there's a couple things to know about me. One, uh, I, I am from Toronto, so that makes me a Toronto Raptors fan. And two, I got into basketball uh, around 2006, so I completely missed the Vancouver Grizzlies era. I knew of them, I liked their jerseys, but I didn't really know that much about them. And and, and basketball isn't my number one sport to begin with, hockey is, so I I know all the history about every team and all parts of the league. I I love it, I, I eat that stuff up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But basketball, I'm not. You know, I like watching the Raptors play, it's fun. It was great when I got to see the Raptors win a championship and go to the parade and and all that sort of stuff that was great but I don't have that connection with the Grizzlies and now that I'm out here uh living in Vancouver 
I, I'm trying to sort of, I, I don't want to say ingratiate myself, but ingrain myself in the community. I'm never going to call myself a Canucks fan, but at the same time, you know, if the Canucks <laughs> are playing and my Toronto Maple Leafs are not, I'm going to watch it. Uh, and more often than not, we sort of hate similar teams. So I'm fine with rooting for the Canucks, you know, say against the Boston Bruins. So going in with that sort of history of who I am as a person, watching the Grizzly Truth was an interesting experience because it really sort of felt like a, a fly on the wall for me where I can watch it and be like, mm, yes, I see this must have been very painful, but not having the emotional connection because this movie really uh sort of lives and dies on did you care about the grizzlies and and how you feel about that uh i, I feel like this movie is going to do like gangbusters out here in bc and maybe the rest of canada is probably going to look at and be like yes but the raptors sort of thing is <laughs> reaction um so it was a very interesting movie. It was, I thought it was very well made. I thought Kat did a great job. It almost has a Michael Moore-esque feel to it where she really inserts herself into the narrative. The movie is is not just about uh, why the Grizzlies left and, and, and how they left, but it, it's more about her journey of understanding who she was as a child growing up being this Grizzlies fan and and sort of her investigative prowess uh, coming into her own of slowly coming to terms with everything. And so in that sense, I thought it was a very well done. It has a bit of a sort of a, a noir gumshoe detective like vibe to it where she's literally, you know, uh, sitting in an office with uh, with a crazy bulletin board behind her and she's watching old clips on, a, you know, a Windows 98 computer, basically. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was it's, it's a fun movie. And I can acknowledge that if you are from Vancouver and a basketball fan of a certain era, this movie is going to hit you differently than it did say for me. Yeah. And that's totally fair. Like I said, I think it's actually, it's a very Vancouver specific or BC specific, maybe at least sort of film. Um, because I mean, uh, I think I'm a little bit older than cat James is, but like, I think a lot of us went through the same journey that she did. I, I didn't become the, the super fan that she did. Uh, I didn't technically live in Vancouver, so I didn't go to games all the time. But I, I loved going to games. Um, and I just loved having a team. They were an easy team to like root for, even though they sucked. <laughs> and they really sucked. Don't get me wrong. They really sucked. <laughs> but uh, I, I just, like, it, it kind of felt like, more so than any other documentary I've seen this year, it, it was one where like I was really on that journey with her. Like the my my emotional journey sort of paralleled hers through the narrative of the film, and I really appreciated it. Nice. Yeah. Well, well, I'm glad that it worked so much for you, uh, and I know our our other friend Todd. I think really went for it as well. Yeah, Todd, I think is a huge basketball fan, so I think it really worked for him. So yeah, if you're from BC or if you love basketball. Uh, then this movie's definitely going to work for you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess I should talk about my number two movie then, right? I mean, that is uh, how we're doing things. So yeah, let's go ahead. Let's move on to your number two. So my number two movie, uh, I have also a another reason 
why I have not listened to your latest episode yet, but uh, the other than Triangle of Sadness, the other ep- movie you talked about is a French Canadian film called Viking, and I really love this. and And I know you're going to disappoint me because I've seen your letterboxed review of of this, um, and I, I think we we very briefly chatted about it in in our group chat. Uh, but uh, I I really went for this. I don't know why. Uh, it's it's a satire of you know space movies. If you've seen the right stuff, if you've seen uh, Apollo Eleven or or other films like that, you will recognize all the hallmarks that this movie has going for it. Even two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. There are several nods to that film in here. But basically, uh, this is there is the the first manned mission to Mars and the spaceship is almost getting to Mars and the uh, the sort of stand-in for NASA is uh, realizing that there are interpersonal conflicts happening aboard that might doom the entire mission. So what they need to do is they need to basically uh, bring together a group of people who have exact personality matches so that way they can simulate the actual difficulties this Mars mission crew is going through and try to recreate them and come up with solutions. So they find five people who supposedly match the same personality traits as the five people on board. And every day they are basically given a punch card of what their motive and motivations are based on the crew reports. So when someone wakes up uh, well rested, happy, excited, hungry, uh, tired, annoyed at someone, fighting with someone, whatever it may be, that's the energy that they have to bring. And they have to live the two and a half years that this Mars crew is doing as someone else. I absolutely loved it. I found it incredibly hilarious in a subtle way. And I found the satire of uh, space films to be so perfectly up my alley that I just absolutely love this one. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I can't speak highly enough of this one. I think it's going to be a very tricky movie for people to find as most French Canadian movies do not get wide releases in English language Canada, and they often don't show up on streaming sites. So this will probably have a limited run where it's in theaters for a week, and then it will probably be gone forever. But this is one of my absolute highlights from this festival. Yeah, I think if we're lucky, it'll end up on Crave. Um, but Crave has like a French language sister service that I don't subscribe to, which is probably where it'll end up. Um, I like this movie, actually. I don't think it's dis- I don't. I didn't love it. <clears throat> um, uh, and Simon hated it. <laughs> but uh, I liked it. Uh, I thought it was uh, an interesting... Uh, not entirely original, but an interesting concept. And I thought a couple of the performances were pretty spectacular. Um, It's definitely a film that I think uh, asks a lot of the viewer in terms of how much you have to buy into the, let's be frank, completely absurd sort of uh, (laughs) setup of what they're doing. Um, But, and I think, I think my main criticism is that I, I don't think it, I, I, I struggle with, and I know it's a very like subtle difference, but I struggle with whether I think it was not absurd enough or just played too straight. Um, mm. to, to, that kept me from loving it. But uh, I think I said in our spoiler alert from our, our podcast, but like I said that like um, for the people 
who are going to connect with this film, they are going to connect with it hard. And uh, thank you for bearing that theory out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I really love this one. And, and I, I understand where you're coming from with the, with the fine distinction of, of maybe how to interpret it. Uh, it worked for me. I, it's funny. I wrote my review and it's a, it was a tricky review to write because this movie is very complicated to describe what I described in the plot summary there was sort of the bare bones of it. And even that I feel was a little convoluted and having to use quotes over the characters names and then not use quotes for the real characters names is a, is a very complicated process to rate review. I publish it. I'm like, well, if anyone's reading this, I hope they understand what the hell I'm trying to talk about here. Because, <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen it, none of this makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, you're right, because, like, the main character, who is played by uh, Steve Laplante, whose name is David, and he's playing John in the film. So, yeah, there's definitely, like, uh, a minor bit of character inception there, as they're all people playing people playing people. Um, Yes. And I think that a couple of the performances are pretty great. And I I do think that a couple of the actors sort of understood the assignment a little better than some of the others. Um, but, uh, ultimately, like, I think, I think that if you can, if you can buy in, there's definitely something there for, for, for audiences. And I, I did like it. I, I thought it was, um, what's the right word here? It's a, it's a little bit niche. It's a little bit weird, but again, I think if you are going to, if you're going to connect with it, um, in a meaningful way, then you'll connect with it really hard like you did. Um, but otherwise I also just thought it was you know, generally good. I, I fall into more of like, yeah, this is totally fine. I would totally watch this again, sort of camp. I didn't connect with it the same way you did, but I thought it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is definitely the type of movie that I could see them remaking into an English language version. But I feel like a lot of the humor comes from the uh, Quebecois sensibilities. So who knows if such a thing would uh, turn out? Yeah, I don't know how you would translate this. It is a very interestingly Quebecois film. Um, <clears throat> and even just like, just in terms of like the cadence in the way they speak, I think has a lot to do with how some of the stuff is funny. Um, like for, for example, there's a, a scene where at the beginning when they're being told what their mission is and Christopher Heyerdahl is there as the sort of NASA stand in guy. And he's talking about how they need to, um, they talk about the Viking probe and how they had a duplicate and that's how they solved lots of mechanical problems on Mars because they could simulate them here on earth. And so in French, he, he repeats a couple of times this phrase, the, uh, simulation, comprehension, solution. And if you say that a bunch of times in French, it becomes funny very quickly. (laughs) Uh, but if you say it in English, it's kind of bland. And I, I don't think it would translate. I think it, I think the way it exists is the way I think, I think that someone may try to remake it at some point. I don't think it'll be super successful. It's like when they, uh, remade that, uh, that, that film, I think it was called Starbuck about, um, the guy who, uh, was a sperm donor who ended up having, you know, like 27 kids and then they remade it, uh, with, uh, Vince Vaughn and it didn't yeah. work at all. <laughs> No, it doesn't doesn't work at all. Which is a shame because Starbuck is actually a pretty great film, mm-hmm. and it's the same. Uh, there's another great French Canadian film that got remade uh, from the '90s. I don't know if you've seen them, but the original film, I believe, is called Louis XIX, 
and the American remake is called Ed TV, and it's Matthew McConaughey. And Ed TV is not a oh. like Ed TV is a really bland. It's like not bad exactly. It's just kind of like a bland '90s rom com. But the original is actually very funny. Interesting. I didn't know that was a remake. I I don't know if I've seen Ed TV in full, but it was definitely one of those movies that uh, would would play on TV often enough that I've seen more than enough uh, clips from it. Yeah, there's just enough famous people in it, and it didn't it didn't do well enough in theaters to like to like really have be a mainstay, but it did well enough that it became like a mainstay on TV. Um, but it is yeah, it's a remake of a French Canadian film called Louis Louis Dizneuf, and Louis Dizneuf is actually really funny. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was my my thoughts on Viking. And now that uh, we've talked about it, uh, I'm very excited to, to listen to you and Simon talk about it. Mr. Hot Takes himself. <laughs> that's true. That's, uh, I'm going to start calling him that, Mr. Hot Takes. We should just like make that a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's move on then. I have one movie left, and so do you. I guess we'll start with mine. Um Mine is the film that I went to see just yesterday as of the time of this recording. Uh, it is the debut feature from film critic turned filmmaker Chandler Levac. Uh, it is the 90s set coming of age comedy drama. I like movies. Uh, and you missed seeing this with us yesterday. And I kind of wish you were there because it's kind of a, it's a lovely, lovely Canadian film. And I had a really good time watching it. Uh, the story is about a young man uh, played by, I'm going to mispronounce his name, uh, Isaiah Leighton, I believe is his name. The character is called Lawrence. He is about to graduate high school. He's dead set on going to NYU. And he is a very toxic film bro. Uh, and the whole film is his journey. I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that he like um, stops being a toxic film bro at the end. Uh, but the whole, the whole film sets him up and then very much holds him to account for being basically being an asshole. Um, uh, and it's set in the year 2003. It's set in Burlington, Ontario. There's a lot of very distinctly Canadian touches. Um, and it just is kind of a wonderful, it's funny. It's heartfelt. It's kind of heartbreaking at times. Um, and I just had a great time watching it. Uh, and I think this is one too, where I think being in a crowd and being in a crowd at a festival really helped. Uh, I do kind of worry that I kind of had that sort of festival goggles effect watching it, but mm. I, uh, I had a great time watching this movie. Uh, and I think part of that is that like full disclosure, like I was an insufferable 19 year old film bro at one point. Um, <laughs> so I kind of felt attacked by parts of it. Uh, but, uh, you know, as with the main character in this, I'm glad I grew out of it. Uh, and, uh, you didn't, you didn't get a chance to see this at all, right? Like it didn't, I don't think there were any screeners for it. It only had a few screenings, so you didn't get a chance to see it at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm very disappointed. I missed this. I know Rachel loved it, seeing it at TIFF. And so it was pretty high on my priority list. And the fact that it wasn't on the available screeners 
and uh, seeing in person just sort of didn't work out. And I'm and I'm very sad I missed it with you guys because it sounded like a, a ton of fun to be in that crowd. And yeah, I, I really wish I saw it because I have actually lived in Burlington uh, for a period of my life after college. My my family had moved to Burlington, and so I'm I'm familiar with the area. And I was born in the town right next to it, a town called Oakville. So that whole area just outside of Toronto in suburbia is you know was my youth and uh and i feel like that would sort of extra resonate with me because i spent my youth in video stores as well um so it's a real shame that i missed it and gonna be super high up on my priority list of trying to acquire this film in some form or another to watch it i don't know i it sort of seems based on the reception that it is getting that you know, we're talking about movies that might be uh, big players for the the CSAs next year, and this might be the English one that's the big player outside of maybe something like Women Talking. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think that this, uh, you know, I think something like Women Talking, which at full disclosure I have not seen, is definitely one that's going to be uh, have make a big play for Best Picture at the CSAs. But this is the you know the one that'll probably make a big play for maybe maybe director or screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's and maybe like, uh, yeah, and maybe some performances, could, uh, like some supporting performances might get nominated as well. I actually really hope, uh, there's an actor named Krista Bridges who plays the mother of the main character and she's wonderful. She's so wonderful in this movie as a sort of exasperated, uh, mother of a, of a child who, you know, has some, uh, I guess the polite way to say it would be, has some emotional problems. Um, <laughs> And, uh, I, again, like if you, I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to watch this movie if you grew up in or around Burlington, but having grown up like in Canada, in the nineties, living in video stores and our local theater, like this, this checked a lot of nostalgia boxes for me. It checked a lot of like my personal experience boxes. Uh, and I, I ended up really loving it. I think there's a, of all the films I've seen at the festival this year, which, Again, it's not that many, but this is the this is might be the one that actually makes my year end list uh, of films that I loved. Oh, so, fantastic! That's that's so nice to hear. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I we've talked about this offline before about how like I feel like I need to represent more Canadian cinema in my uh, you know online presence, and I will I will champion this movie. I I really hope lots of people see it. Nice. Well, uh, that makes me even more excited to see it now that uh, we've talked about it. And uh, I'm going to echo your your sentiment there about wanting to champion Canadian films, uh, so much so that we've talked about, I feel like four or five movies have already made our, our, our respective lists total combined. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, my number one is also a Canadian film, and that is the Clement Virgo film Brother. Uh, we're talking about the fact that I... I Grew up just outside of Burlington and lived there briefly as a as a young adult, as a recent college graduate. Uh, Brother takes place in Toronto. Uh, now, obviously, it's it takes place in in Scarborough. If you are familiar with the Toronto area, which is going to inform a lot about what this movie is in the setting behind it. I didn't live in Scarborough. I never have. So I can't really comment too much of the authenticity of that area. But from what I do know from visiting and driving through there and being adjacent to that section of the city 
this all rings uh, very true. But uh, but yeah, for anyone that doesn't uh, know this movie, this is uh, about two brothers who are sort of grappling with their identities, with what it means to be a man, with what it means to be the children of immigrants who are being raised by a single mother, what it means to be black in the late 80s through the early 2000s in a city that is very multicultural, but still has, as anyone can attest to any city, its fair share of problems uh, that people of color have to face that unfortunately is not a reality for white people like myself. And if if anyone's familiar with Clement Virgo, he is probably uh, Canada's preeminent uh, director in regards to telling stories about the black experience. He has been making hit after hit since the early 90s. And this uh, this is just a stunning masterpiece. Every once in a while, you'll watch uh, a movie. We talked about it earlier, uh, This the idea of watching a low-budget indie movie. And you don't really know what to expect. And brother, I watched this movie and I, I don't think I've seen a, a more visually stunning well-acted, well-paced, choreographed movie in in any recent time. I'm, I'm going to compare it a bit thematically to a movie like Moonlight, which also features... Uh, Brothers is done more in a non-linear way, uh, whereas Moonlight was done in three chapters. But Brother also sort of takes place in three portions of uh, these two young men's lives, specifically one, the younger brother of the two, Michael, who is played by Lamar Johnson in the teenage and adult years. But uh, the older brother, Francis, who is played by Aaron Pierre, every year you're, uh, us as movie lovers, we're going to watch some films that uh, we know – in the grand scheme of things, awards mean nothing. They're they're silly, they're stupid, they're self-congratulatory. I still enjoy them and I love them and I follow awards races and all that sort of stuff. But us as movie lovers, we'll watch movies and we know, hey, this movie is going to get completely ignored by year-end lists, by critics groups, by award shows, all this sort of stuff. And Brother is that movie this year for me and Aaron Pierre is that actor who I am going to be banging the drum uh, that he was absolutely robbed of an Oscar nomination and probably win in my books. Wow. That's a uh, high praise. I, this movie was on my list, um, actually based on the strength of Rachel recommending it out of TIFF and I did not get a chance to see it. And I was kind of upset. Uh, so hearing you rave about it makes me even more upset, but it also sounds like the kind of thing that like will be available. So I will be looking for it, uh, whenever it comes out. Um, I also, uh, based on Rachel recommending it, um, but also I really enjoyed um, the younger brother who's played by, you said his name already, Lamar Johnson, right? Johnson, yeah. Yeah, he was in a TV show that I really liked called Your Honor with Brian Cranston uh, two, one, two years ago. Um, and he was really good. And I've been wanting to see him in more show up in more stuff. And I'm really glad that he is. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm super, and you're right about Clement Virgo. Like he, I, he, I haven't seen a ton of stuff. Like, I don't think his filmography is not that, uh, he doesn't have a ton of breadth in terms of theatrical releases, but what he has put out has been amazing. 
And even just recently, he directed a couple episodes of that new Jeffrey Dahmer show on Netflix, which is a little controversial and maybe rightly so, but the episodes he directed are both great. Yeah, he uh, he's someone who who definitely does not have the the clout associated with some of uh, other some other Canadian directors have received, respectively, south of the border. But uh, but he he has a stunning body of work. He doesn't have a ton of of movies, but all of them are sort of considered in the pantheon of great Canadian works. His, his work in, in TV is also um, quite prolific. You know, he directed two classic episodes of the wire uh which says a lot about uh the the sort of the circles that he runs in as far as his esteem uh he was the driving factor behind the miniseries the book of negroes which was a a canadian miniseries as well um yeah you mentioned he did a couple episodes of the the Dahmer tv show he did work on an empire and stuff like that. So he, uh, he gets work and, uh, and is someone who I think is very well respected within the industries. He unfortunately just does not have the name recognition that goes along with someone that is so well known. He's basically the equivalent of, uh, when you say, uh, your favorite band's favorite band, he's the type of guy who would appear in your favorite director's favorite director list. Yeah, that's an excellent way to put it actually uh but you know maybe hopefully with something like brother like this again feels like another one that's going to make a pretty strong canadian screen awards play and uh maybe that recognition will parlay into something bigger or i mean maybe not like it's also i kind of appreciate that he sort of seems to understand his lane and stay in it and keeps making great content great films great tv shows in in that niche and there's something to be something to be said for that too Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I know who Aaron Pierre is, I'm very excited because, uh, like literally days before I saw this movie, it got announced that he is going to be playing Malcolm X in the next season of Genius, which is going to be called MLK slash X with Kelvin Harrison Jr. playing Martin Luther King Jr. and, um, Jr. playing Jr. And yeah, uh, Aaron Pierre playing Malcolm X. So that has me very excited for that to sort of see how he will do because he has a, a screen presence that is so utterly magnetic because he is both charming and kind of terrifying at the same time. And I really think he's sort of the, the perfect person to, to play someone like Malcolm X because those are shoes that are massive because of the uh, shadow that Denzel Washington casts over anyone that will ever reprise the role of Malcolm X. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an amazing piece of casting right there. Uh, I'm just looking up. uh, I didn't, I didn't, hadn't heard that announcement. So that's actually super exciting. Yeah. I've never seen any of the genius miniseries, so I can't really comment on the quality of them, but I know they did one on Albert Einstein, one on Pablo Picasso. I think they did one on Aretha Franklin as well. So I think this is the first time they're sort of focusing on, on two people as the lead. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they do with that. Yeah, I haven't honestly. I haven't watched a ton of it uh, either, but um, it is fairly well regarded, and they keep making more of it, so it can't be all bad. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm I'm very I, I knowing that he's going to be in it uh, makes me want to check it out more, actually. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Um, those are those are my five films. Those are my five as well. So that 
how was your experience overall at the festival? I mean, we both were fairly limited, but uh, you, I mean, you, you've covered a number of festivals in the past. Uh, where does VIF sort of rank in your pantheon of, of, you know, the festivals you look forward to each year? Like, where does it rank for you? Uh, I, I would say pretty highly now the, the fact that it's one that I can do in person and, um, not necessarily to pat myself on the back too much, but the fact that I, I, I get full access to the festival is, is a pretty big deal for me. I only started covering film festivals in the last like two to three years, really. And, and a lot of the time during the pandemic, it was a bit easier because, uh, different festivals would have full um, online programs, portals that you could watch, whether it was for public consumption or for, for critics. And now that COVID is loosening its restrictions and stuff like that, um, festivals are sort of turning their backs against the online uh, portal aspect, which is frankly a little frustrating because it means you have to be physically in person or at uh, worst within the same province or state that the festival is taking place in which really limits what you can uh, see and cover um, especially since now I'm in British Columbia uh, before being in Ontario being able to see stuff at uh, TIFF and, and Hot Docs and other Ontario-based festivals made it or uh, Cinefest Subbury were made it a lot easier to cover them whereas now uh, it's it's much more difficult and previously TIFF I was not getting full access to this year interestingly enough I did get um, a, a full access media passport but I wasn't able to attend so that pass went to waste because everything was geo-blocked for Ontario uh, that they did have online access for which was uh, very frustrating to say the least so yeah VIF would uh, would rank very highly for me because one uh by virtue of the fact that I am able to see everything that I'm allowed to see is, uh, is, is a plus. And, uh, the slate has been terrific, especially this year. I, I really love the selection of movies that they had. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, VIF is my hometown festival, right? So it's pretty much my, my number one. Um, I think it makes a great compliment to the other festivals I enjoy covering, like say Montreal's Fantasia, which is uh, very specifically genre focused, uh, or something like Tribeca, which is very uh, a little bit more art house focused. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right about the the since the pandemic is you know the funny thing about the pandemic being over is that everybody has COVID, but that's a whole other discussion. That's a different <laughs> podcast. Um, but yeah, definitely these years where they're starting to limit re re limit what they'll put out, even just for media people who are not local is uh, getting a little bit frustrating, but Vancouver, I think does a really good job of, of being, you know, a mid-sized festival. Uh, They have a lot of big titles. They have a lot of uh, people who really care about the movies behind the scenes. And I think it really shows. So yeah, that's, I think that's it for my, do you have any more VIF coverage coming up in the coming week? This is, I think this is going to be it for me. Um, But do you have anything else coming up? No, I, I think that's it for me as well. Um, I I don't think I'm going to be publishing any more reviews. And if I catch any of the screeners that I watch, I don't know if I'll if, if I have time. I, I'd love to write reviews for more, but uh, I just don't know if I'll have time to either watch any more or write any more. Yeah, I, hope, I think I'll probably I have a couple of screeners left. I think I'll probably get to watch, but I don't think uh, I don't think there'll be any more coverage on the feed, unfortunately. But 
you know, the next year, hopefully, uh, circumstances will be different and we can just go to everything. You know, that'd be great. That would be terrific, especially since we didn't actually meet up in person. I was able to uh, to hang out with Thomas Stoneham Judge one night where we watched uh, Brother than the Banshees of Inishirin back-to-back, um, and he was the only person I, I, I got to see. So I'm, I'm sad I missed uh, the big group hang yesterday uh, and gained to experience a screening with, with you in particular, Matthew. Yeah, me too. I mean, we do live in the same city. We could we could make this happen. It's a, it's a, it's a real thing, so... Although you live in North Van, which might as well be the moon. So, you know, that's, I'm blaming <laughs> you. I'm blaming you for that. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, that about wraps up our show today. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me to talk about VIF. Where can people find you and your show? Uh, the easiest way to find me and my show is to search for Awesome Friday Podcast on your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, that'll be in the show notes, I assume, as well. You can find me on the Twitters at SmatthewAF, uh, or you can find the show at AwesomeFriday.ca, uh, and similarly named on Instagram and other places. But if you want to talk to us, Twitter's the place you should do that. Yes, I do make quite prolific show notes where I stretch the character limit allowed on uh, Anchor's backend for all the URLs that I include. And you're right, you'll be able to find links to the Awesome Friday podcast, the website, uh, your personal accounts, your show's accounts, all that fun stuff in the show notes. Um, but yes, and you can also read all the reviews I wrote at ContraZoomPod.com. You can follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. If you have seen anything at the Vancouver International Film Festival, uh, let us know your thoughts. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you like listening to this show, consider tipping us on coffee. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.